Good morning, City Church. How's everyone doing today? Come on. Wasn't that an amazing time of worship we had this morning? That, that was just, wow. You're talking about filling up the spirit to get started with. That was, thank you, Miranda. Thank you, worship team. That was absolutely amazing. We give them a round of applause. That really was amazing this morning. Thank you, Lord. My name is Richard Miles, and I'm one of the deacons here at City Church. And first, I'd like to share with you just a little bit about the deacon team. Um, there is nine of us, and we work very closely with the advisory team. And the deacon team loves you. We love you, and we, we volunteer to help and serve in a lot of different areas of ministry. Uh, some of us are, are right now with the city kids having fun and celebrating. Uh, there's others that are helping with this main worship service and, and the adult ministries. We have uh, some that are part of uh, Wide Open. Do we have anybody here part of Wide Open? Okay, three, three. They usually sleep into the last service, right, you know? And also those that we, we love to go outside the building, right? So we love to go, and even for those who can't make it, whether they're uh, homebound today or whether they're um, in the hospital today, as a church, we love to reach out and get to know them. Uh, you see, uh, if you can turn back one slide, a picture of our wonderful deacon team. Uh, uh, it is really an honor and a privilege to serve with these guys. And that second slide that you saw just a moment ago is, i tell you one thing about this team. These guys like to have fun. So now, now many of you may have not have ever seen Pastor let his hair down, but I will tell you, he knows how to have fun with the best of them. It's a great group of guys to be a part of because one of the things we do is encourage one another. And at this Brothers Growing Brothers event, we just had fun together. We poured into each other. We invited some other guys. We helped to, to mentor them. And we want to encourage anybody, uh, especially the other men in the church, that if you want to grow in God, we want to partner with you in that. And so I think I have some of my deacons here uh, this morning. If you're one of the deacons here at City Church, would you mind standing real quick? All right, you see them all around the room, yes? They love to serve. They are here for you, and I thank Pastor for the opportunity to lead that team. Uh, Today's message I've entitled, One Body, No Needful Circumcision, No Needless Offenses. Now, that definitely sounds like a mouthful, but I promise we will break it down together and make it simple. Just turn to your neighbor right now and just say, one body. That's what it's all about. We are one body together in Christ. You know, this is really a powerful message on unity, and I must say, singles beware. The last time I heard a powerful message on the subject of unity, I moved across the country, I got engaged in six months, I got married, I found a job, I had a child, I bought a house, I had another child, and that all happened in five years. So be ready, right? Be ready, singles. Be ready, singles. It could, it, it could happen to you. God is so good in that regard. And I will also say that uh, you see a picture right now of my wonderful family. I, I'm just so blessed to have them. Uh, in my arms, you see little Martin Manzella Miles. Uh, he's just turning 11 months now and was recently dedicated to the Lord right here at City Church. So you guys are his family and all the obligations that come with the family as well as all the joy that comes along with that. Um, In my wife's lap, you see Condoleezza. She loves to smile. She loves to take pictures. You're talking about after a long day, you can walk in and, and have someone bring a smile to your face. That's her. And then my amazing wife, I would not be here before you guys today if it wasn't for her. Uh, You guys know who's watching the kids right now. You know who's taking care of the home. You know who's praying for me right now. So if it wasn't for Michelle, what an amazing woman to have in my life. I'm so grateful to have her. 
And being young parents with little children, it seems like every time you turn around, they're hitting another milestone, right? They come up with something new. So uh, Martin right now, he's uh, learning how to understand his name and to follow instructions, which is a good thing, right? But if you're not fast enough, he also knows how to uh, move boxes and chairs so he can stand on them and get to the things on the very tip-top shelf that maybe you don't want him playing with. And if you think you're safe, right, you're going to the bathroom, you lock the door, you're just in the bathroom for a moment, what do you know? He's on top of the toilet bowl at the very back, and he's ready to climb onto the sink. Having little ones is indeed a lot of fun. Condoleezza is learning to read. It is so special to hear her half read, half memorize the story. Um, but she's also learning how to get attention. She knows the perfect time to interrupt you, and just in case you didn't hear her, she will tell you over and over and over. And in case you still didn't get the message, she will grab your hand and tell you where you need to go, just so you're on track. Right? Having young kids is a lot of fun, but I tell you, at times it can be trying. Um, I I love to take the family here to Wednesday nights, our our Wednesday oasis, and a great time to connect with small groups. Uh, I always encourage people to come out. One of the recent small groups I had been to on Wednesday nights was about parenting. And actually, it was taught by Miss Laura, and Laura was a terrific class on parenting. Two strong moms that have raised godly Christian uh, children that love the Lord. And uh, one of the things that we talked about, maybe even a small section of it, was about teachable moments. Right? So teachable moments are just essentially, instead of just telling your child what to do, don't do that, you actually teach them what to do and teach them how to make a good decision now and help them to understand how they can make good decisions in the future. That's a teachable moment. So, you know, one of the popular cliches we might hear is if you give a man a fish, he can eat for a day, or if you teach him the fish, he can eat for a lifetime, right? So, you know, we have some common teachable moments I'm going to throw up on the screen real quick that um, you'll see. Maybe you can help me figure them out together. So you can give him a sandwich, or you could what? Teach him how to cook, right? That makes sense. Okay. You could read a story to her, or you could do what? teach her how to read so she can read for herself. Reading a story to her is very good, but that lifelong skill of reading, that's so important. Okay, I think we've got another one for you. What do we got here? we got, okay, you can drive him everywhere, or you can what? <laughs> teach him to walk, right? All right, before I lose all my young people, let's change the slide real quick. Or you could teach him to drive but that's if he gets good grades, and yes, you must physically check his report card, okay? Because if he can show that he's responsible with little things, then obviously he's preparing himself to be responsible with big things. And all the young people, I do want you to drive. You don't have to key my car, but if you happen to want to, that red rogue, you know, just yeah, if you had to do that. No, I'm sorry, we won't mess with Pastor Glenn there, okay? We're not going to mess with this car today. I think i got one more for you guys. Last one, here we go. You can buy them everything, or you can do what? Don't buy them everything, right? You can do, I heard someone say, help them get a job. Teach them life skills so they can prepare for themselves. You can help them to be content with what they have. You can help them by demonstrating how to be appreciative for the love and the joy that only the Holy Spirit can bring, right? There's a lot of things we can do to take advantage of teachable moments. And in the New Testament, and actually most of the New Testament, it focuses on teachable moments, not necessarily telling us what to do, but teaching us how to think. You know, Jesus often would tell his messages in the form of parables, you know, like short stories. And one of my favorite ones is about the lost sheep. 
So some of you may remember it, but I'll recount it very briefly with you. So uh, there was a good shepherd, and he had a hundred sheep inside of his pen. He looked over them. And one day he realized that he only had 99, which means that one was gone. And so he gathered the 99, and he left to go find the one sheep, and he looked and he searched for that one missing sheep, left the 99 to go search for that one missing sheep. And when he found that sheep, boy, was he excited. He grabbed the sheep up. He celebrated. He brought it back to the group, and they had a big party. Now, we'll see the message there wasn't actually about the sheep or, or being a shepherd. The message there was that Jesus loves every one of us, and he wants us to love every one, too. Right? So that was the teachable moment there. See, uh, the Lord Jesus didn't spend a lot of time uh, teaching the law. Rather, he taught principles, principles that can guide us, that we can live by. Today, we're going to be looking at the section of Acts chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, you might already want to start moving in that direction. And we look at a story where uh, we have a challenge in the church. There's disagreement between believers. Some of you might say, Brother Richard, you're in the wrong church. We love each other here. High five. Everybody's good. Okay, on the count of three, I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell them the proper age that someone should start dating. One, two, three. Okay, I hear 17, 14, 16, 48. When I'm dead, we don't have to go that far. I promise you, stay alive. You're going to want to watch your kid get married. Okay? We often have differences of opinions. We often have things that we disagree on. How do we come to that resolution? And some people might say to that one, okay, well, that's a family decision, and I would agree to a large extent that you make with your family. That doesn't really affect the church as a, as a whole. All right, on the count of three, you're going to turn to your other neighbor and tell me the exact length of time, the best length of time for any service. One, two, three. Okay, oh, someone was really kind. They said three hours, 15 minutes. Okay, why do we always have that one person in the back that looks at you they're like four minutes? Just saying Come on, guys. A little bit of slack, right? Even in our church today on things that do matter to the church, we have difference of opinions, and sometimes that can lead to disagreement and even at moments disputes. But today we have a great example in Acts chapter 15 where we hear about two guiding principles for unity, for bringing people together. The principle of needful and the principle of needless. And God has an amazing way to reveal that to us. I'm going to ask everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes. We're just going to ask the Lord to give us his message that we can understand today. Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to come before you and worship. We thank you for revealing your word to us. We ask that we might be open and receptive, that we might understand your principles of unity so that we can enjoy one another and we can work together to further your name and, and change our city, making your name famous. Lord, we thank you for everything you've done, what you're doing, and what you will do. And everybody said, Amen. So we've been in a series about the Empowered Church from Acts, and the book of Acts really is an amazing, cha- amazing book. It talks about the early church, and the book of Acts makes it very clear the early church is not a building, it's not this structure here, but the early church is us, it's the people, it's, it's the young believers. And uh, at this point in the story, uh, the Holy Spirit is very active. Um, people are speaking in tongues, miracles are happening. Uh, just a chapter ago, in chapter 14, you see a lame person, someone who's handicapped, their whole life is now able to walk and enjoy and serve the Lord. You see a growing number of churches popping up all over the place. More believers are coming to know the Lord, and even the Gentiles. What are the Gentiles? Well, the Gentiles are just simply anyone who's not Jewish. 
Raise your hand if you're not Jewish here in this room. Okay, that's just about everyone here. So when I say Gentiles, you can say us. That's us. Okay, but with all that wonderful growth and power, we also see a growing opposition. Some people don't like that. Some people are now persecuting the church. They're beating the disciples. They're trying to drive them out of town. They're forcing them to to go into hiding at times or move from place to place. There's great opposition. And maybe the greatest growing section of all is the division in the public. There's a division in public opinion in religious circles. Some people, they don't know what to make of this Christ. They don't know what to make of this Christianity thing. And some people are picking sides here and some people are picking sides there, but they are clearly divided. And division is one of the devil's strongest tools. See, the Bible says in Mark chapter 3, verse 25, and actually Jesus himself said this quote, a house divided cannot stand. And Peter, one of the characters we're going to talk about today, he actually gives us a strong warning in 2 Peter telling us that we need to be careful of false teachers and others that look to divide and conquer. But Jesus, but Jesus says that there is unity in me. And one of my favorite references for that comes from Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, which you'll see on your screen in just a moment. It says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. Amen? Can you turn to your neighbor right now, give him a high five, say we are one body. Come on now. Now today we're going to read from uh, Acts chapter 15. So if everyone could pull out their Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 15 with me, I'm going to ask you to... Stand when you have it for the reading of God's Word. So Acts chapter 15, when you have it, please stand with me. If you didn't bring your Bible today, that's okay. It will be up on the screen for you. But when everyone's standing for the reading of God's Word, beginning in verse 1, it says, Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch, where they were teaching believers, unless you are circumcised, according to the customs taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Now this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. Now we hear the word dispute and debate. We know we have a problem. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go to Jerusalem, the capital of the church, to see the apostles and the elders, some of the founders, about this question. And now when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church. How many people like being welcomed when they walk into the church? You give your neighbor a quick hug. Just tell them, you're welcome here. You're welcome here. City Church, if you guys didn't know, is one of the friendliest churches around. We welcome everybody to whom they reported everything God had done through them. They had been worked through by God. The apostles and the elders met together then to consider the question we talked about of circumcision. And after discussion, Peter, one of the original disciples, got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made the choice among us that the Gentiles, everyone say us, might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. You can remember that Peter was the one who saw the vision, who, who see, saw the dream that told him to go witness to the Gentiles. And God, who knows the heart, who knows the heart, showed up and accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did us. In verse 9, he did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, Why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke, a burden, a 
a restraint that neither us nor our ancestors was ever able to bear. I say no. We believe that it is through grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Went on to verse 13. When they finished, James, brother of Jesus, spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon, also called Peter, has described to us how God first intervened and chose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The word of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written, as it's in the Bible. Verse 16, after this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Remember King David, little David, the one who slayed the giants, the one who the Bible said had a heart after God and would do whatever the Lord asked him to do. It's in ruins. I will rebuild it and I will restore it, and the rest of mankind may seek the Lord through Jesus. Amen. Even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. You also know that God has a plan for you. Long ago he had a plan for you. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult. Don't make it challenging. Don't make it hard. For the Gentiles, everyone say us, who are turning to God, instead we should write them and tell them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from meat strangled of animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in every synagogue on the Sabbath. And finally, verse 30, I love how it ends. So the men were sent off, and they went together down to Antioch, where they gathered the church in unity and delivered the letter. Amen. You may be seated. What a wonderful example to us. Let's break it down a little bit. So the church, the early church right now, it was made up of a lot of young believers. The, the name of Jesus is just being known. We talked about hearing the story from the perspective of uh, two of the greatest missionaries and apostles that ever uh, walked the face of earth, and Paul and Barnabas. They were, they were great church planners. And by church planners, we just mean individuals that help start new churches and share the Lord and, and believers with them. And now the, the, the church is growing also in its diversity. They are preaching not only to the Jews and to the Gentiles and to the Pharisees, those who are very religious, but uh, also to the Romans, those who are there just occupying the land in all different locations. They're, they're traveling. They're going from the Middle East to Southern Asia uh, to corners of Europe telling about Jesus and the good news. And back then, communication was a little different, right? So if I wanted to say something to Brother Keith right now, I could just whip out my phone. I could just text him, hey, Brother Keith, how you doing, man? You want to hang out a little bit later? You know, it's kind of weird, one of these stats I heard, like, the easiest way now to break up with someone is to text them. Isn't that crazy? So I can just text Brother Keith, sorry, man, can't count out with you anymore. I'm hanging out with Pastor Eugene, catch you later, right? But communication back then was very different. So when all these different opinions and all these different diverse types of people were coming together in small pockets, if they wanted to send a message, they didn't even have a horse and buggy. They wrote something long, they put it with a carrier, maybe by a donkey or maybe by a horse, and that's how it got from person to person. There was no FaceTime, there was no Skype, you couldn't see their facial expressions. So this lack of communication at times made it difficult to resolve certain disagreements, but they did. Let's talk really quickly about what the problem was. Looking at verse number one, is circumcision required for salvation? So there was a group of individuals that were teaching that you had to be circumcised in order to be saved, and that came in dispute with what Paul and Barnabas were teaching that said that faith alone is all it takes to be saved. So to better understand this, uh, we need to know a little bit more about what circumcision is. So if the tech team's got it, we've got a little 
a video of Martin's circumcision coming up here real quick. I'm just messing with you guys. I'll give the very brief and non-graphic explanation, all right? That's all right. You guys can watch it at home. Um, give a very brief explanation. So in a man's private area, there's a piece of skin that's removed, and that was done for a long time as a part of an, a covenant with God. It showed that they were a believer in the Lord. The Jewish people did that uh, for many, many years. And they did that when babies were young. They were, they were eight days old when they went through the circumcision process. And at that time, when you're very young, it's not nearly as painful or you have a higher pain tolerance. But I will tell you, if you try to do that to a grown man, not only will they cry and will they scream, but you're going to have problems on your hands. You know, I have a close friend of mine, actually a coworker who's even here today, and uh, his son, unfortunately, wasn't uh, feeling his best, uh, was a little bit ill when he was first born, and wasn't able to get his circumcision um, in the very beginning after a couple weeks like he had planned. And so actually a few months went by before they were able to do the circumcision. And at that point, they even had to put him under in order for him to undergo the process. So if you can imagine back in the beginning where there was acts, there wasn't great anesthesiologists, right? Or great surgical tools. I don't know if they used rocks. I think they were past, past rocks at that point, okay? But we'll just say that that was a very painful and challenging problem, and I will say that it could even cause someone to lose their life undergoing circumcision. So this was a big barrier. I want to say big barrier, big barrier for those who are coming to faith. And, you know, circumcision also was a representation of the law in the sense that things that Moses and the prophets had given them, like the Ten Commandments, the Lord had given to guide people uh, for years and years and years. And actually in the Old Testament, it talks about over 600 different laws that were given to guide the people. All those laws, they were impossible to keep up with. You couldn't. You couldn't obey them all. And actually, even those that tried, they spent all their time just trying to obey the law, and they missed the big picture and they weren't growing or helping others to grow. It was something so big that even they couldn't do, so how could they require that of others? So now we have this disagreement. And unfortunately, disagreements don't just take place in the early church. They still take place here today, right? So we have this big church, this global, there's wonderful people around the world that love Jesus and want to serve him. But often they have different opinions or disagreements. Uh, some believe that we shouldn't even be worshiping here today on a Sunday, that Saturday was original Sabbath day, and that's the day that we should be worshiping, or that uh, women uh, shouldn't wear pants in church and men shouldn't wear a hat to cover their heads. Uh, they believe that we need to eat certain foods. We must eat certain foods to keep our body pure, like um, the kosher foods that the Jewish people um, ate. And you know what? Not even just in the church at large, but even maybe right here, you know, we can't agree on everything. Uh, you, you can't even talk about politics, who to vote for, what to do, what to say. But you know what? In all that, we see the Lord come up with something special. See, now the devil tries to use division to conquer the church, but at the same time, Jesus uses it to unite the church. We're going to look at some of the steps that the early church used to become united or to come up with a resolution. We have four of them today, so if you're writing them down, we're going to begin with number one. Number one you're going to see on your screen. The first thing they did was they wanted a resolution. They wanted it to be solved. The Bible said that they appointed people to go and to try to come up with a resolution. Now, how many of us, if we can be honest, when we get into an argument, maybe with someone at home, maybe a family member, someone we're close to us, the first thing we want to do is not say, okay, I, I know we're going to calmly come to a resolution. No, 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 I'm right, you're wrong. 
Wait, wait a minute. No, wait. I'm the mother. You're the daughter, right? We want to exert our power, and unfortunately, even at times, we, we, we don't mind digging in and making someone feel bad. We're even willing to allow ourselves to be, high, be divided. Oh, go ahead. Do your own thing. I'm going to do my thing. I'll show you I'm right. You go ahead. Just do your own thing. We're willing to be divided. But let me tell you that it's very different when you enter a conversation and you say, you know what, I, I really want to come to agreement with you. you know, I, I, really, I really think we can come up with a solution together. Wow, we entered every challenge or every dispute or every difference in opinion in that manner. How different would that conversation be? See, the Bible says that we need to first seek a resolution. And number two, you're going to see on the screen, meet with godly counsel. They went off to Jerusalem to meet with the elders and the apostles. Now, these are individuals who are knowledgeable, individuals who are spiritually mature, Individuals who are trustworthy. Those are individuals that they met with. Okay, now I know many of you guys are taking notes, and that's great. I'm going to give you about 10 seconds for a very brief exercise, okay? In the next 10 seconds, I want you to write down the name of three people that you can talk to that are knowledgeable, that are spiritually mature, and that are trustworthy. Ready? Go. 10 seconds. Okay, now time's up. Now I see many of you writing, and it's awesome that some people were able to go beyond three. Let me say to you, however, if you weren't able to come up with three people that you know you can talk to in your life that are knowledgeable, that are spiritually mature, and that are trustworthy, I want to make that your challenge today, to pray for God to get those people in your life so that you don't have to go it alone. You know, one of the things that we talked about was our deacon team earlier, and, and one of our deacons I, I absolutely love and adore, Brother Kit. He is, for me, one of those people. He's knowledgeable, he's mature, he has wisdom, and he doesn't mind sharing it. And then the greatest part of the combination, he's a great listener. And, you know, we try to meet up for lunch periodically. Recently we met up for lunch over at the um, uh, AAA building, beautiful out there, and we talked, and... Uh, was able to share with him what was going on in my life and uh, even one of the uh, financial challenges that I was kind of trying to navigate through. And he was listening and then he, he could respond to me and he could share what was going on in his life and his experience as a CPA and, and some of the things that were a blessing to me and helped me to navigate through that. We shared an honest conversation and together we were able to come up with some resolutions that really helped. So now if you did write those three people down, if you do have those three people on your list, that's great. But how often do you talk to them? Those individuals that you meet with on a monthly basis or individuals that you talk to or when you have a challenge, you actually do call them up and talk with them. And then how many of us talk to them honestly, bare bones? Now, men, let's just be, let's be real. We're the biggest offenders. We'll come up to our best friend. we got stuff going on, but we'll just talk about sports. We'll talk about the game that's coming up. We'll talk about who's getting ready to go to the championship. And quite frankly, your marriage does not depend on who wins the NBA championship. If we have a challenge, do we have those people that are knowledgeable, that are trustworthy, that are spiritually mature, that we can talk with together and come up with resolutions? If we don't, we're going to pray about it. And if we do, I really encourage you to spend more time with them. Number three, in Jerusalem, they heard the testimony of others. They listened. They listened to what Paul and Barnabas had to say. 
They listened to Peter. They even listened to the Pharisees. We kind of skipped over that portion of the chapter. They listened. They listened to one another in a way that they can come to resolution. Now, how many of us, when we get into an argument and we're staring that person in the face, all we're doing is talk, 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 talk. I know I'm talking a lot today. Please don't think it's me only. Right? But in order for us to listen, we have to stop talking. We have to hear the other person. And, you know, at times it goes even beyond the person that we're, we're disagreeing with. We have our blinders on so tight that even when those people we consider godly counsel that we talk about that are trustworthy and wise, they try to talk to us. And the moment they're not saying what we want to hear, we tune them out. People around us are going through similar experiences. They're sharing how they got through those experiences, and we tune them out. You know, how different would it be if we were to open our ears and just listen to what they have to say? And the final three is, number four, they were guided by the Scriptures. The Bible says that the words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. That was essentially them reading the Bible. You know, the Bible and the scriptures are the best guide we could have. It was written years ago by prophets, and God inspired them to share with us things that will help us to navigate through life. But there is one condition, one thing that we need in order for the Bible to be our guide. You've got to read it. You've got to read it. I try to set aside a time every day. Most of the time it's in the morning to just read God's Word, to let Him share with me, for me to take in, not just gloss over, for me to take in the words that He has to say, to understand them so I can internalize them and then start applying them to my life. You know, if you, if you don't have right now a time where you spend on a regular basis just reading God's Word, I really encourage you to find that. There is no other solution manual, no other self-help book that possibly comes close to what the Bible provides. There's something special, too, about that morning time to help you get your day started off right. So if you don't have that time planned, I encourage you to plan it out. And then finally, they ended, they left united, they took the letter, and they went to go share their resolution. What a beautiful thing. And what was their resolution? Take a look at verse 28 and 29 with me. The Bible says that it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you, not to make it difficult on you with anything beyond these requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from meat of strangled animals, from sexual immorality. You do well to avoid these things. That's a kind of interesting response. The word circumcision was never even mentioned. Maybe it wasn't about circumcision. Maybe it wasn't about what to do. Maybe it was about how to think. See, these practices of uh, eating food strangled, of strangled animals and sacrifice to other gods and to uh, avoid sexual immorality, these are all things that are taking place around them in pagan religions and cults. What I think the Bible is saying here is you do good to avoid these things that might offend others and lead you towards sin. Because those, those Jewish people that we talked about, they would never do that. It's not that there's something inherently wrong with an animal that was killed in a different way if you cook it properly. It's not that it's going to devastate uh, your body and your organs. What 
going to devastate your relationship with others? Are you needlessly offending people? Are you, are you, if you're going to someone's house who does keep kosher, are you bringing the Easter ham just because you can? Are you wearing things that might cause others to go into temptation? Are you saying things that might offend even if you think it's just a joke? Are we needless offending, needlessly offending others and making it difficult for them to know the God we know so well? And the second point being, it never said that you had to be circumcised. It never said that you had to follow all those legal traditions. See, that was all a part of a covenant in the Old Testament where the believers would. They would have to come and they'd have to sacrifice for the atonement of their sins and, and for for the Lord to forgive for what they did. But then a man came, one who was spotless, one who was perfect, one who was a gift for us, and he died on the cross and paid for every one of those sins so we don't have to sacrifice animals anymore so that we don't have to go to someone else to talk to God. We can come directly to him ourselves so there's no need for that anymore. We just do good to encourage others who follow in those practices. And as I said before, maybe it wasn't about circumcision at all, but about how we bring a diverse group of people together. A diverse group of people that are black and white and red and yellow and uh, Latino, those who are uh, financially well-off, those who may be financially struggling, those who are old and those who are young, how we don't offend, but we bring them all together, how we bring together the city of Sanford, how we bring together Seminole County, how we bring together the state of Florida, how we bring together a fallen and broken nation. Maybe that's what it was really about. The Bible says there's only one way to do that, and that's in Christ through love. Now, while we welcome everyone, we still must stand firm against sin, and everything should not be tolerated. We should firmly take a stand against sin, but we should love those so they can come to the grace that we have found. Right now, you're going to see on your screen the resolution steps that we talked about, just as a reminder, because on this journey, we are going to have disagreements, disputes, and different opinions. And we need to make sure that we desire a resolution, that we meet with godly counsel, that we listen to others, and finally that we, we do. We read our Bible and read our Word. And in every situation, all these steps may not be necessary, and all these steps, the order of them is not important. But what is important is that we allow God to unite us and come to a resolution. You know, the big question here is not about circumcision again, but it was really about is circumcision required to be saved? What does it take to be saved? That's what the question is. Verse 11 says it best very simply. We believe it is through the grace, the grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they are. None of us are perfect. It's only by grace that we are saved. We do good by avoiding food sacrifice to idols or sexual immorality or things that would offend, but that's not what saves us. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, I invite you to at least write it down if you can't turn with me, is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. The Bible simply says that it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And it is not from yourself, but it is a gift from God, not by works or what you do, so that no one can boast. We are saved by grace just as they are. 
one body in Christ. I'm going to invite everyone to stand with me and we're going to take just a moment to reflect about what we've heard today with everyone standing, with every eye closed, with every head bowed. Do you want to embrace this teachable moment? Are you, are you finding that you, you, you know you can't do it on your own? You, you can't achieve goodness. You can't find that perfect peace. And today, you're willing to accept God's grace just like I have, just like they have. You know, if you love the Lord and you want to accept his grace, I'm just going to ask you right now on the count of three to raise your hand. If you don't want to do it on your own anymore, if you want to accept God's grace, I just want to pray with you. One, two, three. If you just raise your hand, I see those hands up across the room. And even if your neighbor is not raising your hand, you have another opportunity right here. If you just want to say that, Lord, I know I can't do it, but I'm willing to accept your grace. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. Three, I love to see both hands up. Father God, we are so thankful. You can put your hands down now. We're going to pray together in unity. Just repeat after me. Lord God, we thank you for all you've done for us. We're so tired of trying on our own. We're making mistakes. We're floundering around. But today, we want to accept your grace. We want to accept what Jesus did for you, for me, for all of us in grace. Thank you for this chance. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.